0: Hi there and welcome again to the Explaining History podcast and uh, I'm going back to Alexander Watson's brilliant book Ring of Steel um, this evening. Um, you may have heard me mention it before, it's uh, a history of Germany and Austria-Hungary during the First World War. Um, we're just getting started uh, during the July crisis and uh, the the period of time um, where It appeared that there was kind of mass enthusiasm for war. Now this has been uh, enormously researched by countless historians looking at the the supposed phenomenon of cheering crowds in Berlin and uh, Vienna and also in London and Paris. And there are a great many myths and misconceptions. Always, when we're talking about crowds, you know, large numbers of people, the idea of homogeneity, the idea of a kind of a uniform sentiment, is um, always going to be misleading. There are people who go to rallies, to demonstrations, and even to riots for all sorts of different reasons, and, and what they feel uh, about the event. Isn't set in stone, isn't isn't fixed, uh, and is subject to change. And Alexander Watson does a very good job of kind of exploring that. Um, so let's begin. So um, he he writes about the um, the demonstrations in uh, Austria, Hungary, um, and in uh, uh, in Germany, and the crowds in both countries have different uh, kind of compositions and different sort of motivations in Austria-Hungary um, there is more of a kind of a, a sense of personal grievance uh, because of course the, uh, the heir to the throne the Archduke Franz Ferdinand and his wife Sophie had been assassinated at the end of June in Sarajevo uh, by Serbian terrorists um, and there was a, a kind of a sense amongst many uh, Austrians that now Serbia had gone too far. Previously in this podcast we've looked at how um, Slavic people across the Austro-Hungarian Empire uh, in what's now Yugoslavia or um, parts of Croatia and Slovenia uh, and also in Poland were the target of uh, hatred and abuse from uh, German Austrians. Here we're going to um look at the um, the, the, the demonstrators um, the the young demonstrators uh, so he writes about the uh, young people uh, demonstrating in in Vienna, should not be lightly dismissed as aggressive chauvinists. they were moved by multifarious motives to take to the streets. Certainly, many were ardent patriots, some belligerent but plenty supporting the war with reason, especially among Vienna's upper classes. There was a strand of opinion which considered that Serbian provocations had gone far enough and that decisive action was necessary. Many younger uh, men parading on the 25th of July were thus, um, as in the violent protests earlier in the month uh, and as one upper-class uh, middle woman uh, remembered of her son's, Filled with thoughts of revenge against Serbia. In Berlin, on the same night, however, the intention of the demonstrators was to express support for Austria-Hungary, not to demand violent intervention by Germany. So this is interesting. Um, during the period when the black the blank check, um, the unconditional offer of support by Germany to Austria, is, is offered, there seems a. Alexander Watson at, at least casts doubt on the, the popular assent for that act, that sure, they, they, you know, there was um, uh, moral support, um, perhaps even uh, a desire for political or diplomatic support for Austria-Hungary, but he argues that there is, was little indication that there was an all-out demand for war. Um, For all the positive associations of adventure and heroism, which war had for many in that generation of bourgeois youth, the roundiness accompanying some of the parades betrays young people taking advantage of a -a once-in-a-lifetime chance briefly to overturn social norms. Opportunities to stomp, shout and cheer through the main streets while knocking off the hats of passers-by, who failed to show respect for the patriotic anthems being sung were naturally rare, in imperial cities, the um, there, are, there are a number of things to say about that. So, very often people go to demonstrations, as, as discussed, for reasons that are less associated directly with the achieving of some kind of overt political outcome, and more because uh, a, a sense that normalcy has temporarily broken down in public spaces. In, in you know the, the the spell of the everyday has kind of been broken and that uh, people can go uh, on the rampage temporarily within certain kind of, sort of fairly safe kind of confines, you know, before uh, normally in, in these situations things don't turn into out-and-out riots, but um, protest marches and demonstrations um, enable uh, people to uh, kind of subvert the use of public spaces in way they, ways they normally wouldn't have been able to. The, the the other thing to note about all of this is this generation who, if they were in, in 1914, might have been born, well, probably were born, in the 1890s. Um, and so they had been um, they had grown up with stories about the unification of Germany uh, that their parents and even grandparents would have experienced. And they... Um, there was a point made by Richard J. Evans in The Coming of the Third Reich that there was an entire generation of young people who missed out on the development of um, a uh, the, the unification of Germany. And in the 1890s, there's this surge of nationalist sentiment as as a new generation comes of age. And... Wishes to kind of act out the, 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 the fantasies that the previous generation got to do for real. This is why there are a kind of a, a great many war enthusiasts in, in 1914. Not necessarily those who have fully considered what war might be like, because, you know, when you're existing in the realm of fantasy, these questions don't really occur, other than the idea that it's just basically rather glorious. Um, But the idea also that for the fatherland um, that had been born as a result of your parents' and your grandparents' generation, there must be some kind of uh, sacrifice for it, some kind um, of um, shared struggle. Students' motivations have been particularly misunderstood, writes Watson, For the fraternities, uh, infamous for their dueling and drinking, although while the latter was universal, the former was not, the mark of a man was his readiness to sacrifice himself for the greater national good. Students identified themselves as stalwart patriots. Most were neither naive nor stupid. Their demonstration expressed a readiness to face not a desire for the horrors of armed conflict, So, this idea that there was, um, that that, that amongst students and amongst young men particularly, there was a a readiness to face, uh, but not a desire for armed conflict, that suggests that we're talking about uh, young people uh, accepting that they had some kind of responsibility to the nation, some kind of um, connection, some deep connection uh, of. Obligation to the nation that the, the nation had sustained them, and that other generations had done things in the service of uh, of Germany. So the the large crowds which gathered in Germany and German and Austro-Hungarian cities during that last week of July 1914 were certainly not demanding war. So this here we take another interesting turn when uh, Alexander Watson writes. Most were awaiting news, some excitedly, many with great anxiety. Strange feverish gestures, excited faces, whispers, all betrayed the nervousness that these people felt as conflagration threatened. So awful was the thought that many refused to accept it could come to a European conflict. After Austria-Hungary rejected Serbia's answer to its ultimatum as insufficient, one shop owner uh, in the city of Freiburg, not far from the Franco-German border, observed ruefully that no one yet wanted to believe in a general war. No one wanted to presume that Russia, on whom alone war or peace depended, would really take its role as protector of Serbia so far as to unleash a world war. So this gives a a, a kind of a, an indication. I, I hesitate like to call it naivety, but as to the um the hopes that many German people had uh, and the fears that many German people had and Austrian people had in 1914 that surely Russia would back down. Um, And this is part of the epic miscalculation of both Berlin and Vienna, that Russia would stop backing Serbia and would not risk a a world conflict. Now, the reason that Russia, um, which we perhaps have, been happy to stop backing Serbia and avoid a world conflict, can't do this. It's because the the Tsar of Russia had, before 1914, unleashed powerful forces into the Russian Empire. His decision to, uh, after 1905 and the signing of the October Manifesto, um, his decision to water down to to, um, uh, allow... Um, uh, the the Duma um, to be um, watered down by his Prime Minister Peter Stolypin, uh, and to be gerrymandered in order to favour um, upper class reactionaries uh, and nationalists and really kind of proto fascists in place of of workers' parties meant that by nineteen fourteen it was an elected chamber which favoured. And the aggressive right-wing ideas, the um, the czar, the czar protector, had to be seen to be standing up for Serbian, uh, for, the, for the Serbs, and for Slavic people everywhere, and not engaging in the war could potentially have been as destabilising to the regime uh, in 1914 uh, as the war itself proves in 1917 though the Tsar, um, the threats to the Tsar may well have come from the political right. Now, the extent to which the Tsar had perceived any of this is obviously always questionable, but certainly there was an immense deal of pressure on the Tsar to finally stand up for Russia after successive humiliations from 1878 onwards. Successive humiliations in the Balkans, um, the Tsar could no longer be seen as a, uh, a figure who um, collapsed or uh, compromised or gave in when it came to um, Austrian or German predations in, in the Balkans. So there was...
1: Ready to pop the question?
0: Obviously the, the Tsar has uh, some kind of tra- some traditional role in protecting um, Orthodox and Slavic people in, in the Balkans. but also this was about establishing Russia's uh, place in Europe um, and place at the, the kind of the, the top table of imperial nations uh, and ending the, the kind of the, the endless humiliations that Russia experienced. Um, as a result of um, the uh, willingness of Germany to always back Austria when it came to disputes over the Balkans. Alexander Watson writes, At the start of the week, there were grounds still for optimism. Although Austro-Hungarians recognised that the Balkan conflict was inevitable, both they and the German public were led by the press, which reported on British proposals for mediation to hope its local for its localization, many nonetheless took precautions when the city banks opened on Monday morning, the twenty seventh of July. queues of people, mostly small savers, uh, among whom women were especially prominent, were waiting to close their accounts. Small change ran short as people hung on to silver and gold coinage, and tradesmen had to be warned. If they fa- that they faced uh, a legal obligation to accept paper money. As the crisis worsened, people also began to buy up and hoard food, which in con- consequence suddenly became very expensive. This began earlier in Austria than in Germany. Um, already by nineteen thirty, the day that or, that the cost of food started to become a serious problem for the Reich. Maximum prices been introduced and the officials were ordered to combat war profiteering in Bohemia. Now, one of the things that's true about the, the German hyperinflation crisis after the First World War is that it has its roots in the conflict itself. Um, the uh, overprinting of money in order to pay for um, the war uh, and also the refusal of the Kaiser to tax the public, um, rip, fearing that this would be um, unpopular led to, uh, um, obviously, the uh, prices increasing faster than, than wages. In both Austria, Hungary and Germany, it could be expected that, far from being enthused by such a conflict, a significant part of the population would actively resist going to war. Uh, so, Alexander Watson writes The Habsburg government particularly feared the Czechs' reaction. Foreign Minister Berchtold, as we've seen, thought that on the 29th of June that revolution could break out in Bohemia if the monarchy attempted to mobilize against Serbia. So, there was um, already uh, a fear um, that in the non Germanic parts, of the um, Austro-Hungarian Empire that it was going to be impossible to to bring people like the Czechs along with Germanic Austrians um, and quite rightly there there would be various um, uh, ethnic minority groups that would look at the situation look at the assassination of Archduke Franz Ferdinand and say well this is really an Austrian problem This has nothing to do with the Poles, or the Czechs, or or the uh, Italians. Uh, This is uh, not our fight. So, Alexander Watson writes, Special precautions were taken in Prague on the 25th of July, the day that the ultimatum expired, to prevent pro-Russian demonstrations. In the event, however, the Crown Lands' governor was able to report to his superiors in Vienna, that everywhere calm had prevailed. There was also no open resistance from the Austrian Social Democrats, although on the 25th of July they published in the party newspaper a manifesto against war. The explanation for the lack of resistance is straightforward. On the same day, the government issued a conjunction with the order from, uh, for partial mobilisation, uh, a set of emergency laws, suspending Habsburg subjects' constitutional rights, including their rights to freedom of speech and assembly. Civilians in the Austrian half of the monarchy became subject to military courts for a range of political offences, such as, but not limited to, disturbances of public peace, rioting and insurrection, Lee's, Lee's Majesty, high treason and interference with um, the railways or army. So anyone trying to prevent the mobilisation um, of the um, army will be put on trial for court, uh, for a, in a court-martial. Um, the Social Democrat leader, Victor Adler, um, was utterly cowed and uh, broken by this, this new regime. He said, The party is hope- helpless, he told fellow socialists on the 29th of July. We cannot stave off the danger. Demonstrations have become impossible. Our entire organisation and press are at stake. So uh, Lenin, particularly in 1914, was um, excoriatingly critical of the, um, the, the, the uh, democratic left uh, across Europe, in France, in Britain, uh, and it, but particularly in Germany uh, and Austria, and saw that the, the Social Democratic Party uh, in both countries was completely untrustworthy, had no interest in the um, the affairs of the workers and had no interest in uh, really working towards uh, any kind of future socialist society. The German Social Democrats, writes Alexander Watson, um, were far more formidable than their Austrian counterparts. With 1.1 million members, they were ten times the size of the Austrian party and the largest organisation in the Reich, excepting the War Veterans Umbrella Association... Um, The so-called free unions um, with which the SPD possessed a close relationship together numbered some 2.5 million workers. There was an obvious potential here for massive disruption. Moreover, at the International Socialist Congress of 1907, the SPD had committed itself to hinder the outbreak of a war, of any war, or if unsuccessful strive to hasten its end while exploiting the inevitable accompanying economic and political crisis to accelerate the capitalist system's demise. Well, it's almost as if they're speaking about a completely different party um, seven years later. Um, Here is a party who, after the First World War, when the SPD is in in power in Weimar, Germany, when there is an uprising by the Spartacists, which... um, was largely always doomed to fail. Instead of working with the Spartacists to help capitalism's deny, demise, the um, Social Democrats work with the Freikor, you know, the, the Germany's proto-fascists, to accelerate the demise of the Spartacists. And, of course, Karl Liebknecht and Rosa Luxemburg are brutally murdered. Watson writes... The fiery rhetoric influenced by French and Russian socialists in fact belied the party's reformist instincts. By 1914, its leadership was dominated by men who wished not for a violent break, but rather a legal transition to real democracy. Though uh, they were also, despite being tarred by their enemies as comrades with no fatherland, patriots who had frequently stated their readiness to defend the Reich. Still, there could be no doubt that an aggressive action uh, an aggressive action in the sphere of foreign policy would meet with firm resistance. Already at the time of the second Morocco crisis in 1911 and during the Balkan Wars of 1912 and 1913, the SPD had demonstrated its ability to call out mass peace demonstrations. In Sleepwalkers by Christopher Clark, one of the points that he makes is that the SPD calculation was that if the German army wasn't mobilised and put in the field to stop Russia, um, if the Russians marched into um, Berlin, well, there would be precious little chance of anything remotely progressive happening. So uh, any further democratisation of German society would cease if German society was run by, uh, by the Tsar of Russia. Um, and so with the um, democratization that existed, the degree of, uh, of a functioning democratic state, in Germany is a kind of quasi-democratic society, needed to be fiercely defended um, by the SPD, and this, might, this is one justification for the SPD throwing its lot in with um, the the government. I think there is something deeper at play here. Um, and the, the the thing that's deeper at play is that for most democratic socialist parties, the SPD, the Labour Party in Great Britain, um, in this time period, and throughout the rest of their existence, um, the 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 aspect of Marxism that never really seems to sort of sink particularly deep is the idea of internationalism. Um, the, the 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 social democrats were. Quite happy for a a kind of a a national approach, just as Britain's Labour Party um, uh, has, you know, without with the 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 odd kind of deviation from this, generally, really, seen itself there as the tool of a um, a British and often predominantly English working class um, who had who, who many of whom were not motivated by the idea that workers of the world should unite and overthrow their bosses, or unite in really any meaningful way. So here we have um, a much more nuanced, a much more subtle view of um, the calculations of the masses, the the working classes, the the bourgeoisie, uh, and the, the largest political party in Germany, the SPD, on the eve of the First World War, the idea that there is this um, wild enthusiasm for war needs really to be explored in a much much deeper way. In some quarters, perhaps, but in a great many, that's it. it that does not go far enough to describe what's actually happening. Okay, thanks very much, everybody. Um, there's a bit of new content gone on the um, we- the website, uh, the blog today. Check out www.explaininghistory.org, um, and um, there you can access sign up for the newsletter there, and that's where I kind of you know, that's where I keep all all new content. Alternately, you can come and check us out at the Explaining History fa- uh, podcast. Facebook group or if you're able to back us on Patreon uh, and then we can keep the uh, the podcast going. Thanks very much, all the best. Bye-bye.
1: Planning for your next trip? Elevate your travel style with Quince. Quince has all the jet-setting essentials you'll want for your next getaway, like European linen, premium luggage options, buttery soft Italian leather bags and so much more